Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus. Amen. For our midweek services during Lent this year, we will be considering that portion at the end of Luther's small catechism called the Table of Duties, or as its subtext says, certain passages of scripture for various holy orders and estates, whereby these are severally to be admonished as to their office and duty, or just the Table of Duties. This section of the Catechism is often neglected. That's unfortunate, of course. We have a duty to consider these passages. But regret does nothing. Instead of doing what does nothing, let us ask God's blessing upon our consideration of this worthy topic during this holy season, that it may do something to the glory of his name. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, Grant us to see where you have paid the debt we owed by your willing suffering and death on the cross, so that we may thus joyfully fulfill our greatest duty in praising your mercy and loving one another. Amen. I mentioned in my newsletter last month that the word duty is related to the word for guilt. Duty and debt are derived from the same word. The word guilt is probably related to the word for gold, which would be what a debt was ordinarily paid with. Ought and owe, likewise, are derived from the same word as each other. And the reason our word should has an L in it is because it comes from the same root as the German word should, which means debt or guilt. To have a duty is to owe something. If you should do something or ought to do something, it means you are duty-bound to do it. It means that if you don't do it, you are guilty of transgression. Negligence of duty is sin to the same degree as obstructing justice. You owe justice. To neglect to pay what you owe is the same as stealing. Luther places these special Bible passages at the end of his little handbook of Christian doctrine, known as the Small Catechism, to serve as a sort of fresh look back to the Ten Commandments where the Catechism begins. The Catechism is intended to be read again, and again and again. It begins with the law. The law shows us our sin. The Ten Commandments show us what we owe, our debt, our guilt. They reveal each of us to be the servant who owes 10,000 talents. Our only plea, when our sin is thus exposed, is to fall on our face and beg for mercy from God. We must know God. We confess our sins to the true God who made heaven and earth. Our help is in the name of the Lord who forgives the iniquity of our sins. No other God does. No other God can. No other God even wants to. The creed teaches us who this true God is, how he created us and provides for us and sent his son to make full satisfaction for all our sins 
and reconcile us back to himself, and how he gives us his own Holy Spirit as a guarantee that this Jesus, our Savior, God's Son, remains our mediator as we sing, All our debt thou hast paid, peace with God once more is made. O Lord, have mercy. There is our plea for mercy. The Holy Spirit who teaches us to believe this is God the Holy Spirit who trains our heart to pray to our Heavenly Father according to our Lord Jesus' command and promise. After explaining the petitions of the Lord's Prayer, the Catechism also teaches us the means whereby the Holy Spirit delivers Christ to us and guides our hearts and minds in the true faith through the gospel and sacraments. We learn of baptism, the office of the keys and absolution, and, of course, the Lord's Supper. Only one who is so equipped to know his sin, know his Savior, and make use of the access he has to the throne of God's grace, only such a one who is justified by faith and set free from the condemnation of the law for Jesus' sake can safely be invited back into the law to examine what is most pleasing to God. Only such a one even wants to. We've just heard a summary of the Catechism, which is itself a summary of the whole counsel of God, which pastors are duty-bound to preach to you in season and out, and which you are duty-bound to hear. This is the office of the keys, exercised by the called minister in the stead of Christ, because Christ sent him to do it. But it is owned no less by all of you who believe and are baptized. The catechism is yours. Christ gave it to you. Here, your duty begins. Unless you finish the whole catechism and take it to heart, you dare not start back at the beginning again. The catechism begins and ends with the law. The law works wrath, but Christ, who bore God's wrath for us, is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. When we find Christ at the end of the law, it is with his righteousness clothing us that we return to the law. Not to live under it, but in it. Not to be ruled by it, but to learn from it. This is our joyous and happy debt to Jesus who forgives us all our debt, who in his great meekness is gracious to accept our humble offering as incomplete as it always is. We present our bodies as a living sacrifice that is holy and acceptable to God for Jesus' sake. We do so by seeking to fulfill the duty we owe as Christians who owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law, and Christ hath loved us. In him we are already complete. For us Christians who no longer live under the law, but under the grace of God, the table of duties is a helpful guide to return us to what the law has to teach us. We want to be taught. We need to be taught. Lest we be like the ungrateful servant who has forgiven his 10,000 talent debt and return to his servant with unforgiving rage for owing him an infinitesimally smaller amount so that this may not be us, we who 
can never thank God enough for what he has done to save us from hell and to bring us into his favor. We are eager to know how to live as children who know their father's heart and who live in the light. We begin with the beginning. You must know your duty. You must know who paid your debt. You must confess your sins to him. You must hear the gospel and believe that you are forgiven by your maker, who knows you by name and loves you. You must be guided like sheep of the good shepherd, out of various troubles and temptations and into the praises of truth by which you learn to express the joys of a good conscience and to defend the treasure of eternal life, which is your inheritance. This is a long-winded way of saying that you must go to church. You must hear your shepherd's voice. Pastor means shepherd. He is duty-bound to preach Christ crucified, as I am duty-bound to preach it to you, to live by it, and to be an example to you of faith and love. As St. Paul writes, imitate me, just as I also imitate Christ. Let me now read at length, some of which we just heard from the lectern, what our first duties are according to Luther's small catechism. To bishops, pastors, and preachers, a bishop must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy, a filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity, not a novice, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. What the hearers owe to their pastors, he says to the disciples, eat and drink such things as they, that's you, give, for the laborer is worthy of his hire. Again, even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel, 1 Corinthians 9. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap, Galatians 6. Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. 1 Timothy 5. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. 1 Thessalonians 5. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you, as we heard from Hebrews 13. And we consider the duties that a pastor has as well as the duties that Christians have toward their pastor. 
And as we do so, we, we might note a certain focus on imitation. The duties given to a pastor, which we neither have time nor need to expound, since they are clear enough, are by and large that he be worthy of imitation, as a son must imitate his father if he is worthy. Whether it be in avoiding greed or drunkenness or contentiousness, or even in his ability to teach, all of this corresponds to your duty to seek something to imitate. As you compensate him against greed, think soberly and seek peace and be faithful to one another, especially when you're married to one another. And this gets to the center of my duty and yours. We return to the law that Christ has fulfilled not to be justified. No, we return to the law that Christ has fulfilled and freed us from so that we might learn in our various stations in life to live like Jesus, to imitate him who is the express image of God. Let us ever walk with Jesus, suffer here with Jesus, die with Jesus, and gladly live with Jesus. We show each other how, as brethren, who trust in Jesus. The pastor is to teach you how, how to do this, both by preaching the pure word of God and by living according to it. This is how God's name is hallowed. Consider the, the outcome of Christ's conduct. Consider the outcome of their conduct, who have both preached the gospel to you and lived by it. Consider the blessing, both here and hereafter, that are yours when you honor the preaching of the gospel by honoring the one who preaches it to you, as well as by living at peace with those who listen with you. God is not mocked. He is honored. What you do for the least of us, his lowly servants, Jesus himself accepts as done to him. St. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, For though you may have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore I urge you, imitate me. For this reason I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. This is a touching admonition from the apostle who dearly loved the Christians whom he served and then had to leave. He loved them. Their imitation of St. Paul, which St. Paul beseeched, is not an imitation of holy men who are better than the rest, some priestly class that you can't amount to. No, it is the imitation of one who preaches the gospel and who honors it with his life. Would they imitate Paul? Then imitate Timothy. Jesus remains the same. Would you imitate me? For I also love you in the Lord with genuine fatherly affection and concern then imitate Christ. He remains the same still now and forever. Find that obedience that you rely on 
and that you war with in your members and yet have peace in your heart. Pursue that righteousness that is honored not when burdens of debt are laid upon you by some holy ruler, but when your burden of guilt is taken off you by a faithful servant of Christ. That righteousness that is given to you and that clothes you as often as you bow your head to your master and Lord who forgives you ten times ten thousand talents of failed oughts and shoulds and sends you home in peace, a wealthy man. You bow in repentance. Then you bow in gratefulness. You bow with a debt that weighs you down. You bow again with debt that you will joyfully spend eternity paying because it is the greatest pleasure you have known, the debt of thankfulness that you live your lives to express. You seek to imitate Christ. He is God who assumed your very nature to do what you could not, not just to show you how, but to do it for you and to give his life. He cleanses you with his own blood. He makes you priests before him to access the same Christ as your preacher must present to you. Imitate Jesus, your Savior, by loving his life. He gives it to you. He gave it up. He took it back. He gives it to you. Imitate Christ by listening to, believing, and honoring the voice that brings him to you. The greatest honor you show the office of the ministry which Christ has given his church on earth and the greatest debt you can pay to me or to any man besides me who may faithfully preach it is to hear the gospel, to love it, to sing praises with the rest of us who have our own duties to see to and our own failures to bring before our gracious Lord. But all our duties find their joy in this, that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. So learn this Lent what duties you have in life and seek to learn always in this light that your duty begins and ends with him who does not condemn you. Let us pray. O Jesus, who my debt didst pay and for my sin was smitten, within the book of life, O may my name be also written. I will not doubt, I trust in thee. From Satan thou hast made me free and from all condemnation. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.